Dave, we are gathered here today on this Friday, Junior, to do what on the first game week of Florida State's 2022 College Bowl season? Drake, we're hours away from football, so we're going to talk more Duquesne. We're going to predict it for you. Uh, then we're going to talk about will this depth chart be the same against LSU? And finally, we've heard a lot of positivity around this program. We know a lot about the depth chart. What is the minimum expectation for this team? And folks... All that and more on today's episode of Locked on Samuels. Thank you so much for making us your first listen each and every single day. But let's go on with the show. You are Locked on Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another edition of Locked on Seminoles. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Drake here, gathered today on this wonderful, wonderful Thursday. And as always, folks, we want to thank our title sponsor for today's show is LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs is the premier career-building website. But Dave, we're also going to talk about basically all things Duquesne, wrap that up in a nice little bow, look forward to LSU because we can do that. Mike Norvell can't, as you said on yesterday's show, which right. folks, please go back and check it out. And then also, basically, how we feel as the season as a whole, as because this is the first game week, so let's do our final 2022 schedule predictions. But before we get into that, Dave, how you doing, my guy? What's going on? How's your Thursday? We're, Sorry, again, Wednesday, because we're recording today. On Wednesday. When you're listening to this, we're we're hours. I mean, it, it's you can start counting in hours uh, how many there are left until football. Man, it feels like two years that we've been waiting to see what we're been, what we're told is going to be better. Let's see the better. So let's get right into the nitty-gritty of a day. We fight the fighting David Duquesnes, a.k.a. the Duquesne Dukes, on Saturday at 5 p.m. at Doe Campbell Stadium. I won't be there because I actually will be down here down south. But, Dave, for right now, let's do this the bare bones minimum type of thing. What is your prediction for this game? Yeah, so this is going to be groundbreaking stuff here, but I predict us to win this game. Um, oh, really now? I know Ooh, that was really, surprise really a lot. It's the grain here. I know, I know. Uh, no, look, I said this yesterday. I think I said it needed to be 66 to 6, and then you made me change it because that's just a bad number to predict. This, yeah, please don't ever do that again. Uh, keep in mind, we beat UMass last year 59 to 3, and yes, that ne it needs to be that type of game. And I think more important than the final score of this game, because if our starters are in long enough to put up video game numbers, uh, that's going to be concerning. So if it's going to be a, some kind of massive score, it's going to be the backups doing it, which would be great to see. But I'm not expecting 100 points or anything. Uh, more important than the final score is going to be the halftime score to me, because the halftime score is going to dictate A, what you're able to do with the starters. Like we talked a lot about, we don't want to see Jordan Travis. You uh, play the second half, let alone, I don't even think you want to see him finish the first half. Dude, no, I don't want him to go past the halfway point in the second quarter. If we're being right. completely honest here, like, and, he, listen, just let that man cook for one quarter yeah, and then right. pull him out. No. And, and like I mentioned, there's, there's reasons to keep some of the starters <laughs> in for a good bit. Like, this isn't Tom Brady where he's been in the league for 28 years now. And like, he just has all the rapport he needs. Like you, you have all of these new transfer receivers who are going to be massive contributors, if not all starters. 
And they've had limited time to work with Jordan and they need as much as they can get, especially when they hit the heart of the schedule, which starts week two. But the halftime score needs to be, it, it needs to be comfortable enough that there's no way you could lose the game. The whole second half has to be garbage time. So what I need to see is a first half score of something like, I don't know, call it like 38 or 41, something like that to three or a six. I don't care if we end the game like 56 to 13 or 56 to 17. That doesn't matter. The important thing is that we are, we are so dominant executing our what will likely be a vanilla game plan in the first half that the game's over. That's the end of it. I mean, there's not much more to it than that. Win big. The first half's the only half that matters. The second half's going to be good for all the backups to get that playing time. I know. I mean, I completely agree with you with that. I mean, primarily my thing with Duquesne, I mean, like folks, like I know the prediction thing, like that's something that we want to do for each and every single game. We did that for last year. It's a little more difficult to do with Duquesne because quite frankly, this is a team that FSU should molly wop by the end of the first half. I mean, yeah. as Dave was discussing earlier, we beat, we led UMass uh, heading in the second half, 38 to three. Yeah. Which is basically something that this FSU team should do easily against Duquesne with a better and- team. With a better team, more talented roster, a deeper team depth-wise, even though we do know that we did lose Steven Dix Jr. to basically a undisclosed injury for the remainder of the season, which honestly I will say kind of sucks because I, I did see him as a rotational death piece for a linebacking core that's already kind of super thin when it comes to injury concerns. But overall, to me, my prediction for this game, I need to see – what I need to see primarily, honestly, Dave, is I would love to see this rushing attack pick up where they left off last season and I would love to see 225 yards plus rushing from basically the entire stable of backs. And that's something that basically we know that bread and butter for this offense is going to be a strong rushing attack. We hope for the season they're able to supplement it with a solid but supplemental but not over-reliant passing air rate attack. So to me, I need to see a 225-plus rushing game from all the backs combined, and I want to see us win this game easily and I want to hear the words running clock is in effect by the third quarter. So to me, give me the dub for let's just say 69 to three. Nice. Love that. Um, it, first of all, 225 yards rushing would be catastrophically bad. Wait, um, you think so? How many? We I mean, have how many, 365 how against UMass. Oh, really? We should have 225 in ACC play. So no, it, you, you, I want to see 300 plus rushing yards. Here's the thing. In, in blowouts, I feel like you typically just see us run the clock out, especially if you have a running clock. You just hand it off three times. You're going to end up getting first downs on some of them if you're playing against a team that's just, you know, you're superior than. So you should be able to run the ball up the gut in the second half. I don't expect to see an awful lot out of the passing game in the second half, but it's a good chance to give A.J. Duffy and Tate Rodemaker some looks, see what you have in both of them. Um Jordan Travis should be able to shine early and throughout his time out there. Uh, it's going to be tough to like see anything that makes you say, Oh my God, anybody in particular got so much better. Like, you know, th- there's not much you're going to be able to take away from this game in terms of things like that. Uh, uh, or, or actually I kind of want to see one of the criticisms that I've been kind of levying on him is that basically his mechanics and sort of the small little things of being a better quarterback were, yeah, if you watch the spring game, like it's still kind of not fully there. I would actually like to see if he's improved in sort of those simpler aspects against Duquesne. Obviously, it's going to be a lot easier, but if he just does it in a simple environment like that, maybe, maybe there could actually be something to build off for the rest of the year. 
Yeah, you're right about that. Because again, in, in keeping in theme with what we expect to be a v- very vanilla play calling game, um, not tip anything off to LSU. You don't need to get fancy. I, you I don't. Think the coach has probably learned a little bit about what they shouldn't have done against Jacksonville State. But anyways, in this game, Jordan Travis, I would expect to be asked to not have to make too many reads, to throw ball, you know, throw balls across the middle, quick slants, short passes. And those kind of passes are the ones I think you and I most want to see him be consistent with. The intermediate passes, the short passes, and the passes over the middle. I just want to see the accuracy and the touch on those passes to keep a receiver running in space because receivers are going to have space, not only because the receivers are better, but just, again, Duquesne's overmatched. So this would be a great opportunity, you're right, to showcase some of the simpler things that if Jordan Travis has improved on, uh, will really, really make me feel good about uh, our chances the rest of the schedule. I mean, you're right about that. I would love to see the short intermediate passes overall. Like, I would love to see that. But also, to just give me the typical, you know, deep bomb and do span. Give me the big high point of catch of Johnny Wilson, your boy, a.k.a. Johnny Quest, as he's now affectionately known. So to me, with Duquesne, win 6-9-3, maybe score 70-plus. Just put a fat burger on them, and then we'll look forward to next week as we're able to look forward to LSU. But Dave, what's something that basically as a small, you're part of a smaller firm in the Tallahassee area. What basically is a little more something that you, it's harder for you to look forward to, but it's actually been a lot easier to get a LinkedIn. Yeah, man. Hiring is difficult. Um, It is not easy to find quality candidates out there. I have spent way too much of my own time personally uh, trying to attract, locate and attract candidates for jobs. If you're in the legal industry, you probably know how hard it is to hire a good paralegal these days. And LinkedIn was the place we turned to and it made it an awful lot easier and it was fairly priced. And folks, the people over at LinkedIn jobs basically help you out with every sort of little thing, whether you're a small business like Dave over there in Tallahassee, or you're like myself transitioning from a larger firm over to a smaller firm. As you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help you get your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and basically the best thing ever and for the free LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that nearly every week, 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? I didn't know that till just now, which is actually a great part of the ad read. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free, for free, and for the free. Terminators may apply. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We are rolling here on Locked On Semmels, basically your premier Florida State Semmel Sports daily talk show, podcast, or whatever you kind of whatever medium you're taking on right now. So, Dave, you texted me yesterday what you want to talk about on today's show after our recording for Wednesday's show, which, folks, please, if you if you can, check it out, give it a like, subscribe to the channel, and also ding the little bell so you know when new content drops. But, Dave, there's, you kind of piqued my interest with this one, primarily because I was of the same mindset when it dropped. This depth chart is not going to be the same when we face LSU in week one after we play, go up against Duquesne. I want you to basically, I'm going to hand the ball off to you here. Where do yeah. you want to go with this and where do you want to start? Well, if the depth chart is the same, I would be surprised, put it that way. Um, you can go, to, it's exciting that we got the depth chart to drop and we could talk about each of the positions and what we think. But I, there are several spots where you do wonder if this game's not going to, shake up like especially the very first and most obvious one to me is the second position listed right at running back you saw it on twitter you've st- you've continued to see it over the last 48 hours people just being struck by the fact that trey trey benson's not even listed as an or um that he's listed behind trey sean ward who's listed as the starting running back just it 
it made you wonder when all the reports about Trey Benson have been nothing but he's the guy. He's going to be our next Cam Akers, if not better. That that's that's everything we've heard, and yet he's not even listed as an or. So, like I said in the previous segment, you're going to get a lot of rushing opportunities in this game. Um, if if any of the running backs are playing into the second half, they're going to be able to put up some big numbers just simply handing the ball off. And I do wonder if you're not going to get a chance to showcase what Trey Benson can do because I don't necessarily think he's one of those guys you have to pull after the first half. Just, you know, he's new to the team. You want to get him acclimated. And if his injury is really as healed up and completely a non-factor as we've been told it is, then I would expect him to put up those kind of numbers, showcase what he can do, and jump Trayshawn Ward on the depth chart, who I think probably got the nod because of the continuity. Yeah, and I think, do you think, though, that Trayshawn, not Trayshawn Ward, sorry, do you think that Trey Benson actually is a little more on a pitch count because of the injury? Like, I know you want to see him more, get more acclimated to the offense and everything else. And if the, I mean, the hamstring looks fine over in the spring game. But a spring yeah. game, and even going up against Duquesne, an FCS team, are two totally different ballgames because it's basically it's real live action. The bullets are flying. So do you think that primarily that I, I mean, I'm in the camp that I think you'll still see Trey, uh, Trey Ward be running back one, but I do think that Trey Benson might be getting the majority of the carriers because we saw last year that Mike Norvell doesn't really truly have a number one tailback or a number true number one running back, unless you were Jason Corbin towards the end of the season. Yeah, well, that's the good thing about a game like this is I think we're going to learn that. Like, if you don't see Trey Benson getting a ton of carries, I think you can attribute that to the fact that they're still working him back from his injury, given that everything we've seen from him has been so great. Like, I wouldn't take that as a concern of his ability or likely productivity or anything. So that that's a good thing we're going to find that out from this game. Uh, but keep moving down the list, and and there's, there's a couple things in the wide receiver room you're going to see get shored up. There's two wars listed. I was about to just go to the, go to that too, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got Ontario Wilson and Deuce Span as an or, and then you got Malik McLean and Johnny Wilson as an or. Drake, you see those ors getting removed, and who's on top? I think you see the or removed from Deuce Span and uh, Ontario Wilson. I think Ontario Wilson kind of solidifies that third spot because of his cont- continuity in the team. And also, yep. Deuce Span, he's basically he's a super athletic kid. I think they actually the staff really hit on this one from the transfer portal but he still only has five catches at the power five level from last season. So to me, I think the, or I think Ontario Wilson probably might be the one that kind of opens the scoring against Duquesne kind of solidifies that spot, especially because, you know, with LSU's DBs, they're pretty decent. They're pretty solid. So you kind of want more of an experienced wide receiver there. But I do think the, on the other side, Johnny Wilson's going to be your number one option. I think the Johnny Wilson show is going to, is going to be in full effect probably at Duquesne. And then also you kind of want sort of a premium wide receiver up against what people call as the other DBU. So to me, Johnny Wilson, number one receiver on the outside. Well, the good news, again, we're rolling with the good news here, folks, um, is that I don't think it matters the depth chart listing three receivers. Uh, like, for example, it lists two tight ends. You're not. I don't think you're going to see as many two tight end sets as you're going to see four wide receiver sets. If this room is as good as we're told it is, if these guys are progressing and, and familiarizing themselves with the system and developing a rapport with Jordan Travis, you're going to see a lot of times where Malik McLean and Johnny Wilson are on the field at the same time. And there is nothing I want to see more this year than Malik McLean on one side, Johnny Wilson on the other, Michael Pittman and Ontario Wilson or whoever in the slots or in the middle. That's a scary combination. Pick your poison. Those are two really tall guys on the outside. And then I'm going to go over to the defensive side of the ball. 
And do you think that this is the time where Jared Verse jumps Derek McClendon on the defensive end spot and basically is the true number one uh, starter at the actually as the pass rushing specialist? Well, I don't know. And I don't mean to give you a non-answer, but... Yeah, you do. Everything... It's one of those things where you and a lot of others have thought very highly of what Derek McClendon's potential was at Florida state. And to hear what we've heard about Jared verse all fall long and just see the pictures we've seen where he looks like Thor um, for him to be listed as an, or, and at the bottom of the, or tells me more about Derek McClendon than it does negatively about Jared verse. So I, I say that all to say if Jared verse goes out there and has a six pack of sacks, yeah, I don't I don't think you keep him off the field as a starter. But it's uh, again, it's one of those situations where those two guys are both going to play a ton of snaps. And if every other series or, or excuse me, if every, you know, every three or four plays you're able to switch those two guys in and out and keep them both fresh, holy hell, is that a pass rushing combo? So, I don't necessarily think you'll come out of this game with like a yeah, clearly Jared Verse has to be the number 1, get rid of the or Unless it's just the kind of performance that we can't forget. No, I can kind of completely agree with that. I mean, that you I mean I, like people have been, you know, comparing him to basically his impact could be kind of Jermaine Johnson esque, and I'm like, you kind of have to slowly roll a little bit with that, yeah. primarily because I think Jermaine Johnson, what he did here and his one sole year here, basically transferring in, transferring out. You don't see that every single day, not only at our own program, but probably across program to all across uh, college football. But to me, I definitely think that Jared Verse, like I wasn't surprised that he was going to be uh, defensive end too. But yeah. the fact that he's already an or and he's only been here since basically the beginning of spring leads me to believe that when he goes up against a offensive line like LSU that is returning, I think, only one starter from last season. The rest of them are transfers, one of them being the uh, Miles Frazier kid that we were trying to get from, from FIU, one yeah. of Devontae Love Taylor's boys. To me, that could be kind of his coming out party. That I mean, what better way to do it other than a Labor Day weekend in a primetime game announce that basically – Florida State has another great defensive end coming into the season. So to me, I mean, the storyline's there. The marketing is there. So why not have him as not your number one? All right, Dave, we're here to the last segment of today's episode. And also, since you're going to be basically be out of town for the remainder of the week, why don't you send us home with what you want to talk about here and let the and send the folks off, send the folks home, basically a little bit of a happiness, but also kind of a little more of a stern talking to, because I know this is a segment that you wanted to discuss today. Yes. So before this, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show each and every day. We love you. We appreciate you. We couldn't do this without you. Uh, but what we're going to talk about last is we have been told at each and every turn by anybody that had a mouth surrounding the Florida state program, how much better this team is. Um, and we know some things. We know that the talent on this team is better than it has been under Mike Norvell and under most, if not all, of Willie Taggart's tenure, at least most of it. Um, we know that there is a lot of returning production, that the quarterback position is as situated as it's been probably since healthy DeAndre Francois. And there is a lot of expectations on this team. You see on Twitter, a lot of people saying this, this is a nine win Florida state team potentially. So we've been told all these good things. We know all these things about the depth chart. Now we have a better idea of how the schedule is shaping up. I think as like quarterback or as position battles are settled and whatnot. And we have an idea of what teams are going to be Drake. 
we have to ask the hard question of with everything we know right now to this point, with the benefit of the knowledge we've gained over the fall and lately, what is the very least this team needs to do to satisfy you and bring the Mike Norvell era into next year and beyond? So I want to preface what I'm about to say with something I said a few weeks ago, quoting the great TV show, Bojack Horseman. <laughs> we know this roster has a lot of holes and deficiencies. So when we're analyzing this team, we've done our best here to basically not look at this team with rose-colored glasses, primarily because when you look at something with rose-colored glasses, all the red flags simply look like flags. Yeah. Now, with that being said, to me, the minimum for this team to be successful should be seven wins. Primarily, I will not sell for any less because... As Dave just said, we have talked a lot the past two weeks since the beginning of fall camp, how positive we are about this team, yeah. how talented the roster is, how deep it is. In I also, I understand that we lost our two of our starting centers, which I will say that does hurt a little bit. For sure. It does hurt a little bit. And also, we said earlier, the lost Stephen Dixon for a rotational piece of our linebacking core, which is already not super deep, which you can point to the recruiting of Chris Marr before and Ryan Shan as of now, and also Adam Fuller basically being a detriment to that. With all that being said, the team we've spoke positively, positively about, we can't look back and be saying, oh, we're only good enough for six wins because this team yeah. last year could have won seven games, could have won eight, and we only won five, which one of the losses being against Jacksonville State. So to me, this team minimum-wise should win seven, which even with that, I'm not going to be super stoked about, but this team potentially can steal another one to win eight, and – I'm not going to go nine out there because I think nine is actually your approaching territory where the schedule is a little difficult. But to me, I think in year three, you need to, at the bare minimum, seek to win seven. Potentially, please push for eight wins. Yeah, so I'm I'm right there with you. Um, I mean, the fan in me really wants to say eight. The realist in me says seven. Um, my opinion is... If we had a fully a healthy offensive line, would you push for eight? No. Um no. My opinion of this team is as follows. This team's defense should get it to a bowl game, which means in my mind, the offense overachieving or, or more realistically achieving what we think it's capable of given an improved Jordan Travis and improved re receiving core and an offensive line that should be even with the injuries as good as it's been since Alec Alex Atkins has been here. So, if the defense, which again, will be a top 25 defense, barring some kind of cat catastrophic series of injuries, will push for a top 10 defense, I think. Um, so the offense, the offense will dictate how this year goes, I believe. If, if we're not getting stuck behind the chains and third and longs all year long, like we have been so long for the last half decade, then this is a team that I think can push for nine wins because you look back at the schedule last year, that Florida game should have been winnable, man. We should have beat Jacksonville yep. state. Um, That's two right there. I think we should have beat Clemson. Those are three, the Florida and the Clemson games were against teams that we probably shouldn't have beaten. And yet we were right there in a position where we could have at the end of the game. And bear in mind, this year's team is an awful lot better than last year's, uh, despite the losses of Jermaine Johnson and Keir Thomas both of whom are doing great so far in preseason. And uh, you're allowed to beat the teams you're not supposed to beat. Sometimes you should right. find a way. Like, listen, you see you see people all the time, I'll kick their coverage with significant others. I know I did. Like, shit, that's literally, you're, you should be able to steal Me one. Me too, like, brother. We can't all, I know you really did. I know, <laughs> you, but you really can't just always be saying, like, we're so close, but we're not supposed to, we weren't supposed to win that. 
but you should be able to snatch it from away from them and claim the victory as your own, even that, if your team isn't that great. That's exactly right. And and just as a quick exercise, just go on the list. Jordan Travis, of the depth chart, that is. Jordan Travis, at quarterback, expected to be better. The running back room, expected not to regress despite losing Jay Sean Corbin. Potentially even a little better. Um, the wide receiver room, no question it should be better. The offensive line should be better. The defensive line, I think, could maintain and possibly be better than last year because of the interior at a minimum. Um, the linebackers should be better. The defensive backs should be better. Think about what we've just said. Now, that doesn't mean they're all going to be great, but they should all be better than last year, each and every position group. So if this team were to win seven games, I would be upset, but I would not have a pitchfork in my hand. That Making it the bare minimum. The, but again, going back to the beginning of what I said, the fan in me thinks that any year under eight wins for Florida State, especially when you've just done that exercise of the depth chart. Man, losing losing more than four games just it doesn't feel right. And I, I almost don't care where we've gotten to as a program until we're back to where like eight wins is the bare minimum. It's just it just feels feels not great to be a fan, which is why we got to see the wins. You're going to get a win week one. We talked about that in the first segment. And you're going to have to win some games you probably shouldn't win. And that's why we also say, like, your expectations can be permitted to change, but the standard remains the same. It's yeah. okay to be upset about not winning eight games every single year as your bare minimum kind of cornerstone kind of benchmark. Yeah. Like, we were also understanding that the first year, first year head coach, COVID year, maybe won more than three games, but we understood it was going to be a bad year. Last year? Probably should have won seven games, and you only won five. And a few of them kind of went the other way. But again, we understand. This is year three now. and No understanding. Other, no excuses. Is, there's no understanding, no excuses. And I hate to quote Willa Tiger, but blame no one, make no excuses. You have to actually do something and win some damn games. Because to me, you're going to lose a lot of people. The remaining people out there that support this entire coaching staff, if you don't at least make the seven-win mark. Which to be... Seven wins is very, very attainable. If you hit the seven win mark, I think everyone will be you get one more. happy. Hmm? You get one more. If if we win one, if we win seven, Mike Norvell gets another year for sure. Oh yeah. If you win if you win seven games, I mean, regardless, you're gonna finish out the contract. Unless they basically but if he has the six weird the six games, that might be a little toastier. If you don't make the bowl, obviously he's not gonna be here. Yeah. Um, and if you win eight or nine. You finally have something to sell over to recruits. You finally have something else to sell over to the fan base. And also you won't have me and Dave yelling at you through a microphone, basically in the stream yard room overall, because we just want to win, man. And we're just sick and tired of basically not enjoying our Saturdays in the fall because Dave has nothing else to look forward to. I for sure as hell don't have nothing else to look forward to, but it's a great time being here with each and every single one of you. And thank you all so much for the love and support, basically making Locked On Seminoles your first listen each and every single day. Dave, Please remind the folks right now where to go for podcasting and also the YouTube instructions. For podcasting, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Play. We're at, we're at each and every one of them. On YouTube, if you liked this video, give it a like. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Uh, ding the little bell at the top. It'll tell you when the episodes drop. And leave us a comment. If you have any questions, if you have any feedback on anything we've said, anything we left out, please hit us with it. We constantly like to, re to receive and talk about your feedback. We read questions on Mandatory Mailbag Mondays. And we love doing it.
We love doing it, folks. Please stay tuned for further than week. So we're going to be having Mr. Danny Domino later on that's testing his Danny's Domino's gambling picks for week zero pick them. And then also head on over, looked over till Sunday, where Danny and myself will be sitting down looking at the new live lines as they drop for an early preview of the pick them for the following week. Well, with that being said, Dave, any final words for the first week? Yeah, we're going to start off with a win. First time since Ole Miss. First time in five years that FSU will win their opening game and also will allow Mike Norvell to tie coach Willie Taggart for wins at FSU as the head coach. I had to do it to him. I had to do it to him. I couldn't let him go without saying that. This was Drake. That was Dave. And we'll see y'all next time on Locked on Seminoles. Take care, everybody. Go Noles. Roll Tribe.